that the part of the game where we're searching for coins? Is that what we're looking for? <laughs> there to get a point? I think I think so. Coins or <laughs> mushrooms or yeah, something. It's, it's, I don't know. I, I, I don't, after this show, we might need mushrooms. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, good morning, everyone. Welcome to the roundtable and to our panel discussion. It's really nice to uh, have you uh, with us. Uh, Zach Tenorio is the man responsible for the music we heard, and it's called Phono Synthesis. Oh. See what he did there? Phono <laughs> Synthesis. And uh, that you can find those tracks online, wamc.org slash roundtable. And we have a playlist, and you can check it out there. Well, good morning, all. Welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Roundtable and the Roundtable panel. We have a fine group of individuals here to talk about what is making news, and there are many things making news on this Wednesday morning. Let me introduce the group and remind you, you can be a part of the program, a very important part of the program, by writing to us, panel at wamc.org. We talk, and we share our thoughts, and then uh, you tell us... How we're wrong. How we're wrong, or <laughs> how you agree or disagree, or... Um, Something about your life in the late 60s. It's like being, okay. it's like being married, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> but we do love your letters, and we thank you very much for I being don't know about with that. <laughs> it depends. It really does depend. Which side of the coin you are, right? Give it that. That's right. Uh, we welcome um, the following individuals to the program. Uh, former New York 19 Congressman John Faso. Joins us via the marvel of telephone. Good morning, John. How are you? I'm well. Good morning to everyone. Really nice to have you, and I appreciate you being here as always. Also, we go to uh, Sienna Freeman Tolbert, partner with the Albany law firm of Whiteman, Osterman, and Hannah. Sienna, good morning. How are you? Good. Happy to be here. Really nice to. Uh, have you aboard. Also, we welcome Dean of the College of Emergency Preparedness, Homeland Security, and Cybersecurity at the University at Albany. Bob Griffin is with us. Good morning, Bob. How are you? Good morning, Joe. I'm actually disappointed. John, I thought you were going to come in today and show me your Trump sneakers. <laughs> I, I, uh, um, I'm, I, I haven't been able to uh, actually place the order yet. I, I put it on put it on some kind of permanent hold. But actually, I don't need any new sneakers. Oh, you'd look great in the in the gold bling, though, John. I just it's uh, it, it, it was it, it was you. That's all. I just uh, yeah, they're not. They're what, yeah. With three ninety five is that what they were three ninety five? Yeah. And uh, I think they're they're sold out. Or but, or five thousand if you're really special. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, well, they right they sold out and then they're on the market. But I don't know that any really fully exist in the world yet, except for the one pair that, that made it to the sneaker con. <laughs> well, good morning, and we welcome you. There's a lot going on, so let's get to it and, and talk about it and um, try to make uh, sense of this wild world we live in. And I would like to... I've already lost the... Uh, so this is the second time I've lost the... Uh, topics. There we go. Uh, let's talk about Michigan. President Biden has uh, won Michigan, and uh, but faces a notable showing by uncommitted. And uh, President Trump, also uh, former President Trump, yes, former President Trump. Mm -hmm. I said it, former President Trump. Don't write me. Um, also uh, won. 
President Biden won Michigan's Democratic primary on Tuesday, but faced a notable challenge from voters selecting uncommitted to protest his handling of Israel's military campaign in Gaza. That was Biden, right? Yes. So, did, did I screw that yes, up? Yes, you did. Okay. But... Take two. President Biden won Michigan's Democratic primary on Tuesday, but faced a notable challenge from voters selecting uncommitted to protest his handling of Israel's military campaign in Gaza, a potential sign of vulnerability for Biden among rank-and-file Democrats. Democratic leaders in the state were bracing for tens of thousands of uncommitted votes as Biden aides and allies sought to tamp down concerns about the strong showing by those aiming to warn the president he could lose the pivotal state in November if he does not change course and push for a ceasefire in Gaza. With nearly 99% of the ballots counted, there were more than 100,000 uncommitted votes. On the Republican side, former President Donald Trump continued his sweep of the early primary contest. Just so you know, the, the thing about Michigan that made it interesting within the, the calendar was it was it was the first battleground state to go to the polls in the primary. So we're looking for information and maybe some signs from these early contests. Former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley appeared poised to garner a significant share of the vote, an indicator of Trump's own potential vulnerabilities in November's general election. In the weeks leading up to the Democratic primary, Arab American and liberal activists launched a concerted push to get Democrats to vote uncommitted as a way to protest Biden's handling of the Israel-Gaza war, especially his decision not to call for a ceasefire. The group listened to Michigan, declared victory soon after polls closed, noting that it had surpassed its stated goal of 10,000 uncommitted votes. Bob, what do you make of it? Um, good question, Joe. Um, there's a lot of confusion about what the non, the uncommitted means. Um, so in in both in both the Republican and the Democratic um, votes, I, I, the end result is exactly what we expected. We you know we're we're we've got the Biden Trump rematch that that we we've been talking about. And, and in both cases, though, there's some really interesting anomalies that I think we need to pay attention to. Um, you, we talk about the the uncommitted vote um, of a hundred thousand, or I'm sorry, not, uh, less than a hundred thousand, but it was uh, a, about thirteen percent of the of the total votes that were were cast in the Democratic side. So Biden got about eighty six percent, and un- uncommitted was about thirteen percent. I I don't know what this means for November. Um, I, I'm uh, a clear message was was being sent um, about. Israel and in, in, in Gaza, I don't know if this carries over the same way when I look at the Republican side of the House where Trump sco- scored about 68 percent and Haley had about 26 percent. How many of that 26 percent stays home, 26 percent votes Biden or or flips back to, to Trump? I, um, I'm really not sure. Um, there's a there seems to be a, a pretty steady but sizable population that is is saying no to Trump. And and again, I, I don't know if in November when you when you have to go in and sort of pull the, the final lever, whether whether party trumps 
you know, I, I can't even use Trumps anymore. Um, a party overcomes um, your your opposition, um, but but it's clear that the that the, the voting population is is trying to send the two parties very clear but 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 different messages. I, I will also note that um, despite what we heard about twenty two and twenty and eighteen and sixteen, um, all of a sudden there doesn't seem to be any election shenanigans um, going on, um, and I just would toss that out to the to the panel to, to, to puzzle over why elections now are, are so good um, versus when when Trump loses. So Puzzle and puzzle and puzzle till our puzzlers are sore. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm of the opinion that this is not a terrible outcome. I, my fear was that people would stay home, right? I think that's the way that Trump wins the election is if if Democrats decide not to be involved and decide to stay home and decide not to vote. And I think the fact that they came out and they voted, even if it was uncommitted, shows that they're committed to the election process. And they, during that process, they just want to give a message to Biden about where he stands. I think that's a fair, that's a fair position. And for the Biden administration, I think that should be, that's good because that tells them that they can, they need to get those individuals engaged on their side and there are actions they can take to do that. And so I think that this is not, it wasn't a terrible outcome for me. For me, it was a positive outcome because instead of, instead of staying home, people came out. And I think that's the first step in having uh, in saving our democracy. John Faso. Yeah, I, I, uh, I, I appreciate what uh, my two colleagues have said. Two, two points I'd raise. I think there are warning signs for both parties in these results. Uh, one, uh, on the Democratic side, it's obvious that um, President Biden has some vulnerability in terms of his base coming out for him. Uh, the margin in, in, in 2020 was Biden won the state by 150,000. I believe back in 16, Trump won the state by about 20,000. 20, it was very narrow. It was very slim in, in 2020. Margin's 150,000. Yesterday, the turnout on the Republican side was about 1.1 million. Turnout on the Democratic side was approximately 800,000. Now, clearly, uh, the more robust Republican turnout was because there was a more contentious primary uh, on the Republican side than the Democratic side. Um, But still, it is, um, I think, significant that you had 100,000 people cast a vote for uncommitted that portends a potential problem uh, for President Biden in the fall. And on the Republican side, you had almost 300,000 votes cast for Nikki Haley and another 33,000 uncommitted. And while that is uh, that was just about 30 percent, those two, uh, the Haley and the uncommitted on the Republican side, it's about 30 percent of the Republican vote yesterday. Um, how many of those people are either going to sit out or not vote for President Trump in the fall? I think so. There, there are clear warning signs. I think for both uh, Biden and Trump in in their candidacy here, in terms of how many of these folks are going to uh, stick with their party in the fall. And of course, then you have all the people that don't vote in primaries, and and where the independent vote uh, will tend to split. And again, uh, you know, Trump has clearly has baggage. Uh, 
And Biden clearly has a baggage as well. The unpopularity numbers that both these men have are really um, make that uncommitted vote uh, uh, of of non-enrolled voters uh, really puts it up for grabs. So I think there's there are warnings, warning signs for both candidacies uh, here in the fall. John, two quick follow-ups. Of course, one of the things about the uncommitted on the Democratic side, which I do think does have to be taken into account, is there was an active push. I mean, there was a, there was an active uh, and a very robust advertising and, and, and so forth. But what I'd like to get your opinion on is the what I read out loud in the article about this was that mostly the uncommitted and and those even who who uh, did not vote for Joe Biden were sending the message about a ceasefire in Gaza. Um, mm-hmm. do, how true do you think that is? I mean, is it is it more is it more than that than that protest? And and because that would indicate that perhaps that's something that could be worked on over the next couple of months. Whereas if if it's a more systemic problem that is is going to like say age uh, that is that is going to be with him till election day. Yeah, I, I don't know how you would I, I could discern the difference in terms of which of those factors was more important. I sense that it was the uh, movement on the progressive side, particularly among Arab American voters in places like Dearborn, uh, to express their disappointment, disillusionment. But the the political box that Biden is in is that um, if he if he uh, goes much further than where he is in terms of um, trying to chastise or push Israel on this, he's going to risk losing votes on the other side of that equation among Democrats and independent voters who strongly support Israel. And while while everyone agrees what is happening uh, in in Gaza is horrific, um, the fact still remains that Hamas started the war and that Hamas actively embeds itself in civilian populations. And if if people really want a ceasefire and want this war to stop, there's, there's, there is a solution that is not often mentioned, which is Hamas can surrender and lay down its arms. And I think that is actually where most Americans would be. I think the support for Israel is still very strong among Americans because they see what happened on October 7th and the, the deaths that are occurring since then are tragic, but those deaths are the responsibility of Hamas. I think that's certainly where my position would be. And I think that the trouble for Biden and the Democrats um, in some of these states is that their progressive base is really torn on this. And they are um, uh, they're they're very much uh, against uh, the current U.S. policy. Uh, it's going to be very difficult for Biden to uh, continue to straddle that fence. Uh, and if he goes uh, fully on one side or the other, he's going to risk alienating a larger pool of voters, I believe. So um, I, I think he's in a very difficult spot politically. Um, and uh, uh, how this plays out over the next few months is going to be very interesting. Uh, but a lot of those people that voted uncommitted yesterday, I think, in Michigan, in the Democratic side, uh, were sending a message that they don't like the uh, American uh, policy towards Israel. And on the Republican side, you have 300,000 Republicans who wanted someone other than Donald Trump. And I don't think it's so much a vote for Haley as a vote against Trump. So I have to pause you. 30 percent. 
I just have to pause. I just have to pause you there, yeah. John, because we're up against the break. But we'll uh, we'll come back. We'll continue this right after we get this news update from BBC. Good morning. Welcome back to the roundtable and to our panel discussion. It is Wednesday, February twenty eighth, nine thirty four in the morning. And John, I had to uh, unfortunately uh, cut you short because we were up against the clock. But please go on. No, I, I apologize for being so loquacious there. I uh, think I said my piece. All right. Uh, ten, ten points to John for using the word loquacious. Yes. <laughs> uh, uh, Bob. I, yeah, uh, John, a couple of really good points. Um, one area that, that I think Biden really needs to pay attention to, you talked about Dearborn, um, just the, the numbers in the urban areas. And, and I'm not going to engage in too much pearl clutching right now over the, the primary, but at, at the same time, when when you do look at three out of four voters in Dearborn and in in some of the other urban areas voting uncommitted, um, that that's a, I think that's a a heads up for for them to take a look at. Your your point about about what's going on in Gaza is really interesting too because it it puts I, I think Biden is in an even bigger bind because in, in addition to this being a foreign policy con- controlled by a, a completely different country. You, you have the whole issue of Netanyahu and his political future and his responsibility for ignoring a lot of the warning signs on October 7th and his legal issues being wrapped up in the whole Gaza situation and being wrapped up in, in Israel's foreign policy. So I, I, I see uh, that, you know, it, it makes makes Biden's path even more complex and, um, and, and difficult. One question that I'll put out to, to you and to and, and to everybody, are you surprised at Trump's numbers? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about as an incumbent, um, and, and in my mind, Biden, uh, Trump is running as an incumbent, and and we talk a lot about Trump's strength in in in, in the the MAGA brand and in, in in the GOP, and we we talk about a lot as he comes into this with this floor of MAGA support. It, it, are the primaries that we've seen, and we've seen this replicated now in 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 um, New Hampshire and South South Carolina and in Michigan? Do you think there's a ceiling as well? Uh, you know, so, so as we're as we're looking at, what we we think is this involvable in um, MAGA support that it is this band, and and what does that say about the November election? I 100% think there is a ceiling for Trump and his support. I think there is. Only a certain that is my whole theory is that the only way that Trump wins is by people deciding to stay home on the Democratic side. I think that's the only way because I think he only has a certain amount of support as shown by Nikki Haley's persistence and her. She got 40 percent, I believe, in South Carolina. Um, yeah. Yeah. And she got less in Michigan. But I mean, and the way she. And the way she speaks and what she says to her base tells me that they believe that they don't want to be invested in the chaos, as they they refer to him as. And I think they are never Trumpers. They are not going to vote for Trump. And I think that, unfortunately, the only way that he does win is if we they continue to hammer in on Biden on the immigrations piece and people don't aren't encouraged to go out and vote because of immigration hammer in on what's happening in um, in Gaza and people don't want to come out and, and vote for Biden. That's the only way that Trump wins, in my opinion. John? Uh, 
Mm -hmm. The moment of silence can be for whoever you have lost. Yes. I I think we're probably just working on a mute issue is my guess. Yeah. John, are you? Either that or the question is so brilliant that he's still pondering. Yeah. Could be. Yeah. Or not. I guess I also wanted to say I was, you know, I was talking to Bob during the break. <laughs> Thanks, Sienna. You can. <laughs> Thank you for saving the day. You know, I'd like to come in with a cape. Um, <laughs> but I also wanted to say I didn't necessarily agree with him about the most people in the U.S. agreeing with Biden's approach to Isra- to the Israelis' government dealing with the war. I wanted to say that most people initially was watching and they wanted, they understood the retribution for what happened on October 7th and going in and getting out Hamas. But I think afterwards what's happening, watching the starvation, I think everyone is starting to say, we have to find a better way. And long-term everyone realizes that this can't work in that area long-term. Like you can't, you can't, Israel won't have any allies or, you know, nothing in the area. If So they have to figure out a way to move towards a two-state solution. They have to find a way to move towards a ceasefire. And I think those are the words that they want to hear from the Biden administration during these next six months leading up to the elections. They want to hear ceasefire because that's how they know they're going to stop what's happening on the ground because too many civilians are being hurt, harmed, starved. It's just really hard to watch right now. John. Can you hear me now? Yeah, yeah we can. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I, I don't know what went, uh, what went wrong there. I, you know, I, I think that we have to remember Hamas is dedicated to the destruction of Israel. Their charter calls for the destruction of Jews. And the Hamas leadership after October 7th said they would do it all over again, and they intend to do it all over again. So Israel doesn't really have much choice. Hamas is the culprit here. Hamas is the evil of course, abetted by the the conductor of all this, which is Iran, mm-hmm. uh, which also calls for the eradication of the Jewish state. So uh, war is terrible. War is tragic. War is very difficult. But if, if Israel doesn't uh, defeat and eradicate this Hamas leadership um, now, they will come back. And the notion of a two-state solution, I think, is right now just completely off the board. Uh, I don't think it's at all realistic because there's no negotiating partner uh, that's legitimate with Israel. Uh, Iran and and its allies fomented these attacks because they saw Israel making agreements with the other Arab states, particularly in the Gulf and elsewhere. And um, I really think Israel continues to have very little choice in this regard. Now, obviously, they have their own domestic pressures. People want to see those hostages released. Hamas could accomplish a lot of what people in the United States want to see, which is to stop the war by surrendering and laying down its arms. I think that's the only solution. But I guess my I guess when I think about this, you know, when you talk about Hamas, it's and I heard it said earlier this week on a show that Hamas is it can be an ideal as well. Right. And so the idea that by bombing and hurting all these people that you're eventually you'll get rid of Hamas is a fallacy. It's just going to engender more hatred towards people. And that's my concern is that we continue. Like, how do you really eradicate Hamas if if you're killing people, if people in Gaza, they're being their parents are being killed, their kids are being killed and they feel like the Israeli government is doing this to them. Then then how do you really eradicate that sensibility? You understand? Without wiping out all the people. And I think that because you have to come to that realization, then you have to say, okay, realistically, how can we move forward? Because people are hurt and harmed and it's 
Hamas is individuals, yes, and you can go and get these individuals. But by continuing to bomb, I question whether or not you get rid of that sentiment. Well, but you have the the, the challenge though, where where the Hamas leadership, um, you know, their they, their their families aren't even in Gaza. They're they're not experiencing the the pain. Um, they're 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 safely ensconced in, in mm-hmm. places like Lebanon and 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 I, I, Iran. Um, there there are pathways. Um, the UN could play a role here, although I think they've proven themselves to be in, um, not not a neutral arbiter. Um, the if if the people of Gaza would give up the leadership of Hamas and say, "Listen, there needs to be an international criminal tribunal." I think there's a there would be a potential opportunity there for for peace. Um, I I agree with with John though in the sense that. Un, until you can guarantee the the safety of uh, of of, this, of Israel and their people, um, we wouldn't stop. I I I wouldn't if I was in, in Israel. I I wouldn't advocate stopping. Um, you, you're you're already in too deep. I also think this is a situation, um, and, and I'm not making light of the pain and suffering going on in in Gaza. Um, of the dog catching the bus, though, um, I, I think the attacks on October seventh were um, were so so much more extreme. The brutality, um, the, the the systemic use of 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 violence and 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 rape and and sexual assault um, were were so far beyond um, what what we've seen in the past that. Um, it it forced it, it has forced Israel to take a position which I'm sure I'm sure they don't want and I don't know what the the uh, besides a two state solution I don't know what um, the the solution is I I know that nobody else in in the region wants to take over the the problem of the, of the Palestinians um, and and un, unless and until other folks in the region will guarantee Israel's safety they they are alone. And but here's the thing: long term, they're going to continue to be alone because even the Saudis can't agree to uh, to any kind of resolution with them as they watch the Palestinian and Palestinians and what's happening in Gaza. They can't sign on to that. And so I, that's what I'm saying. If you look long term, I mean, what would it look like if instead of, you know, we're using all these funds to bomb and and try to eradicate Hamas, which you just noted that they're not even there. Hamas leadership and their family is not even there. If we use that money instead for Israel to, you know, shore up their defenses and instead of hurting these, I just, the humanitarian part of me is just reaching out to those people who are who are suffering um, because of the actions of their leadership. And I can imagine if the, if the shoe was on the other foot and we were, we were going through something and I was being penalized for something my government did, it would just be very hard to yeah, see. I, 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 and I appreciate what you're saying. I, I guess what, what um, still a- angers me and having been to, been to Gaza and been to Israel many times in, in, in other roles, um, the amount of money that was taken away from the people of Gaza, money that was given by places like the United States and the international community to better that community, and instead was put into the into the fortification militarization of the Gaza Strip, um, is absolutely heartbreaking. And and I 
I I do have a, a hard time with a lot of the dialogue, and and this is dialogue that I also associate with with Representative Talib. That you know, we're 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 not talking apples and apple apples and, and apples when we're talking about Hamas and and what they haven't done, but Hamas um, has sold the people of Gaza down you know down the river because of their 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 own um, their own violent ideology. John, we got a, a break coming up, but anything you'd like to add to that? No, I I, I, I understand what uh, what's being said about the humanitarian aspects of this. Yeah. It's tragic. It's terrible. Uh, but, you know, there have been hundreds of millions of dollars spent from the United Nations, from the United States and other countries. The United Nations Relief Organization has has really performed abysmally in this regard. And Hamas deals with people at the barrel of a gun, and that's not going to change. And that's what I think. And remember, the founding document of Hamas says things like the French Revolution and the Russian Revolution and the international uh, Jewish conspiracy to control finance is all in there. That's all the responsibility of the Jews. It's a, it's, it's a hateful, anti-Semitic organization, and they're not going to change. So I, I think that's, the, that's what Israel sees. That's why the war cabinet in Israel, including Benny Gantz, who's an opponent of Netanyahu, agrees that they can they have to eradicate Hamas in this in this war or else they're just going to come back. All right. We'll pause there. We'll take a break and we'll get to letters that should bring us up to the top of the hour. I thank you very much for being a part of the program. All you have to do is write to us panel at WAMC.org panel at WAMC.org. We'll be back right after this. Good morning. Welcome back. Remember when I said that letters were an important part of the program? Well, we're going to get to those now. We welcome yours, panel at WAMC.org. I do feel like I need another quarter, though, Joe, for the, the game. <laughs> what game would that be, Bob? <laughs> uh, Mary says Israel's occupation of Palestine dates back to the 1800s. Israel's treatment of I just got your joke. I'm sorry. I just got it. I <laughs> I'm so sorry. I'm that slow. It was the the video game music. I got okay. I uh, I'm like, what the hell is he talking about? Got it. Sorry. Well, I just got the normal look from you. So yeah, I, I was know. just like, I was yeah. like uh, <laughs> all good on the radio. Mary says Israel's occupation of Palestine dates back to the 1800s. Israel's treatment of Palestine prior to October 7th was ghastly which America seems to be ignoring, and October 7th was a ghastly response. That from Mary. We go to uh, one that says, Sienna is right. The goal of eradicating Hamas is not realistic. There are perhaps some similarities to attempts to eradicate the Taliban. Using funds to shore up defenses is a much sound is a much sounder strategy, says Fred. We then go to uh, Irene. Why are settlers taking over land that isn't theirs? Why is it acceptable to kill, maim, and starve the innocent? This will not eradicate Hamas and lead to peace. That from Irene. We go to... M, who says, in what world is Trump an ally or benefit to the Arab American and Muslim communities across the country and the world at large? In the cycle 
in this cycle, not voting against Trump is against everyone's interest except the business party, which seems time and time again to be the only political party in this country. A non-committal vote is not resolutely against Trump. On top of all of this, it sure seems that Nazis were in attendance at CPAC. They were not turned out um, like they used to be. It's a topsy-turvy world right now. I I don't understand a, a, a lot of things that that, that I I thought. Um, and I also go back to sort of the initial comments about I I, st- I I understand the intent of the the uncommitted campaign to send a message. Um, I, I wouldn't extrapolate too much of it into the November election because I think there's going to be lots of changes before then and a lot of decisions would 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 need to be made. Um, there are there are several groups that seem to be s- showing a lot more support for for Donald Trump, um, at least in polling that I don't understand, given his position on um, things like immigration Um so I I would be a, a little cautious about about saying that what happened in Michigan last night was anything other than let's tr- let's use this as an opportunity to send a clear message in a way that actually doesn't really hurt um, at, at the at the ballot box or put people in office. I completely agree. I was listening to one of the leaders of the Listen to Michigan. Um, and he clearly noted, stated that, you know, we do not support Trump. We remember the Muslim ban, but we wanted to protest. Um, and this is what we were doing. Byron says you don't have to eradicate anyone. Just treat them with respect. Oliver says the. Well, well, but, but Joe, I think I mean, the, the, I think the challenge here, too, is is this, though, is um, will, will when you say treat them with respect. How do we how do we resolve an issue of um, you know John I think your number is short I, I think it's actually in the billions of of dollars that of aid that has gone into Gaza and it, and it's apparent to me that that money that could have gone into the infrastructure of things like schools um, and building projects and and things that would create jobs um, that bring peace um, was was misspent. Um, and I guess my question is, when I think about rebuilding, what, what do you do? Because if you don't have a, if you don't have a government partner, if there isn't a, if there, if there isn't a, 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 an agency that you can point to, to say, okay, we're, we're going to rebuild and, and, and try to show something different so that it isn't the, the pattern of, of, of um, attack, death, war that, that we're seeing, um, you know how how do you you know how how do you rebuild this this situation, um, and you know this I think is the is the huge challenge not only for for Israel and the United States but for the UN and anybody who wants peace in that area. Richard writes to us and says two reminders for John Faso as we throw up our hands in despair at no partner to negotiate a two-state solution it's worth bearing in mind one the W Bush administration was instrumental in ensuring Hamas prevailed in the 2006 elections two Netanyahu has given support to Hamas as a counter to the PA for well over a decade 
three, despite fighting a 20-year war, spending hundreds of billions of dollars and killing hundreds of thousands of people, the U.S. has not eliminated al-Qaeda and the Taliban rule in Afghanistan. The Taliban have defeated the Soviet Union and the United States at this point. John, your thoughts? Well, it, clearly we have not been successful in many in many regards, as the uh, as the writer um, mentions. Uh, but that doesn't get away from the the fact that um, there truly is no negotiating partner right now. The Hamas is clearly ideologically committed to further um, war against Jews and against Israel. Um, the the Palestinian Authority is corrupt. I mean, the, the President Abbas is now in the 20th year of his four-year term. Um, it's exceedingly corrupt. They they teach their children um, uh, all sorts of defamatory and, and false uh, allegations against uh, Israel and Jews in particular. They still have the pay-to-slay policy. They they pay the the families of, of terrorists who, who kill innocent Jewish civilians, Israeli civilians. Um, so all of these things, uh, you know, that's why I, I think that the notion of a two-state solution is just utterly fatuous at this stage. And I think everyone knows it who's on the ground and negotiating. There needs to be a uh, an entity that can come forth uh, that can supervise the rebuilding of Gaza when this war is over, but no one has identified what that ent- entity is. And and Bob is correct. The neighbors, the the Egyptians, the Jordanians, um, the Saudis, none of them want to take this on themselves. And um, it is has been hundreds of billions of dollars that have gone to uh, Hamas and the, and the Palestinian Authority that they have used for weapons and Look at the tunnel structure that has been built with with American money and money from other countries who who wanted to help the people of Gaza. And it was completely converted into military uses. So this is a tragedy from beginning to end. There's no doubt about it. I have tremendous sympathy for what is happening there to those people. But again, the responsibility ultimately is Hamas. If Hamas, if people want These these groups calling for a ceasefire should instead be calling for Hamas to lay down their arms and to surrender. That is the only way to stop this war. Anybody else? David writes to us and says, my overriding concern about Israel's strategy, Israel's strategy of bombing civilians, destroying infrastructure and hospitals, is that it will motivate young Palestinians to become combatants. Imagine if you looked at a government who killed your mom, dad, sister, brother, grandparents, and destroyed your home. Wouldn't you take up arms against them? That from uh, I mean, I think that's, you know, that's what we, we talk about. How are we moving forward? I mean, what we're setting up is a situation where, yes, you know, if Israel moves forward with their campaign, they, you know, eradicate Hamas. And then what happens is they're surrounded by, you know, Lebanon. They're mad at them. Egypt is mad at Israel. All these surrounding countries are upset with Israel in a way this what happened in Gaza. And then here you are sitting in the middle and you have the only people that are there to defend you, for the most part globally, is the U.S., and I just I don't think it's a good strategy. I think there's a chance to salvage this and salvage a little bit of their their reputation globally so that there can be future um, headways in terms of making an agreement with the Saudis like they were supposed to be doing. And 
I don't see that happening if we if the campaign continues. Except there's a couple of points I think we need to put on the table. One is that Hamas has, has knowingly and systemically interwoven their structure into what we would consider to be targets that 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 should be should be excluded from from warfare. So they use their hospitals, they use their their daycare centers, they use their their schools um, in in ways that. Um, violate the Geneva Convention and, and the rules of law, uh, the, 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 the rules of, of war, um, and, and they knowingly use their, their civilian populations as, as human shields. So I, I think we need to be careful about sort of this is, you know, Israel is doing this just, just to do it, um, that, there, that there's, military, there's military issues around this, and, and we've seen it. I mean, if you saw, if we, if you saw the structures, the, the military command and control structures under the hospitals, and the fact that the, the hospital administration knew about that, okay, um, that, 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 that adds a whole level of, of um, duplicity to um, what, what's going on. The, the other issue, though, and I think we need to talk a little bit about the, the history of Israel, it's the, the history of Israel all the way back to the 50s and in, in, in their founding, they have been surrounded by people that are dedicated to er- eradicating them. So if you think about the, the, the initial uh, war of freedom, if you think about the Yom Kippur war, if you think about um, the, 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 um, uh, the, 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 any of the wars that, that were fought, um, they were surrounded by people who were, who were committed to, to their destruction. So this isn't this isn't anything new. Um, what is what what's a little bit different to me though is the uh, it, it, no it isn't. I'll stop right there. This isn't anything new. Um, it's it's not new. I agree, but I you know I maybe pie in the sky. I'm thinking about this in my generation. How do we move forward, right? Like how do we move forward so my kids don't have to deal with this and deal with this? Con- like I think. Everyone, it feels it feels very stuck, and I think a lot of people are frustrated with the fact that there's, you know, where are the you know cooler heads prevail so we can figure out how do we move forward in this area? Will the will this you know what I mean? Like that's yes. what I'm thinking about, and I think I think that's what's frustrating about sometimes the conversation is, you know, I I completely agree. Hamas is a bad actor, terrible terrible but how do we move forward in a productive way and i think that's that's why i keep saying is you know everyone wants to talk, it's a complex history we all get that but how do you take two steps forward if calmer heads don't prevail and say okay what does this look like how can we how can we get out of this and i really hold i'm sorry no that's and i really hold that there must be a better way if the biden administration is saying that the, the and secretary of defense is saying hey be more strategic. Try to avoid X. Things are there must be a better way. We do have to take a break uh, real quickly. We're going to change subjects when we come back. Uh, Jake O'Connor says it's really disappointing listening to the intellectual contortionists on your panel attempt to justify a genocide being committed against an occupied People, John says, shame on you, panel, for not countering an obvious lie in a previous letter. Israel repressing the Palestinians since the 19th century. Really? Really? How, pray tell, did Israel do that when it was founded until the mid-20th century? Really, panel, I expect better from you. And finally, 
Hey, letter writers aiming at Mr. Faso, his responses regarding the war are the same as Libby Post's would be enough said. All right. With that, we wrap up, and I want to thank John. John has a plane to catch, so he'll be leaving us. By the way, John, I thank you. I, I want to use that in the future as an excuse of leaving the show early. I have a plane to catch. Do a Bob Hope of the Tonight Show. I, I have a plane to catch. But thank you very much well, for being with us. I appreciate it. Thank you. And uh, I'll, I'll take my gold uh, sneakers <laughs> yeah. as, long as, as, long as, as long as Bob is wearing his pearls. Yeah, absolutely. Time. The pearl clutching begins. Uh, John, thank you very thank much. You. We'll be back right Bye-bye. after this. Good morning. Welcome back to the roundtable and to our panel discussion for this Wednesday morning. Those remaining Sienna Freeman Tolbert partner of with the Albany law firm of Whiteman, Osterman, and Hannah. Uh, Sienna, thank you. The for remaining? St- yeah. It's like an Agatha Christie That's uh, right. uh, murder. Here's <laughs> who's left. Um, Dean of the College of Emergency Preparedness, Homeland Security, and Cybersecurity at the University at Albany, Bob Griffin. And we thank you both for- I'm terrified now, though, Joe, because like I'm, I'm sort of the short, fat, ugly one that's left. And I'm, like, I'm the next one on the, on, the, on the whole murder mystery to go. I know. So, I have to know. catch a train. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You know what? My job is just to get us in the station by 1049. We'll be okay. I just I had promise. to run faster, faster than Faso did. That's all I needed to do. Now I don't know what I'm going to do. <laughs> all right. Thanks for being here, John. Sorry. Let's go back to new, I know, yeah, lightning <laughs> speed. Um, let's talk about uh, spending talks intensify. Uh, this, this is... I don't, you know, I, I know we, we talk about this story like every three weeks, and um, <laughs> but it, it, it does, I do find it, uh, I mean, it's horrible, but it's, it's, it's also endlessly fascinating. Um, if it weren't true, it'd be better, but it is. But four months into his job as the top leader in the House, Speaker Mike Johnson find himself the himself the odd man out in increasingly intense talks on how to fund the government and whether to continue aid to Ukraine. Stop me if you've heard this before. Mm. (laughs) Stop, stop. (laughs) President Biden made clear that the speaker's positions were out of step with other leaders in government, as did Vice President Kamala Harris. The top Democrats in the House and Senate did, too. Even Senator Mitch McConnell, his fellow GOP leader on the other side of the Capitol, emphasized the need for the speaker to avoid a government shutdown and provide badly needed aid to Ukraine. This all happened in an intense meeting inside the Oval Office yesterday where Speaker Mike Johnson was in attendance with time running out to respond to two crises, a partial government shutdown that is looming this weekend and the potential end to American aid to help Ukraine prevail in its war against Russia. Mr. Johnson, only months into his job, has found himself the last holdout at an increasingly agitated table of negotiators. On one side, he is feeling pressure from the president of the United States, both Senate leaders and the House minority leader, all demanding he cut a deal to fund the government and keep aid to keep following, uh, flowing. rather, But on his right flank, he is facing a band of hard-line Republicans demanding that he hold out for conservative priorities and spurn Ukraine's calls for help or risk 
being booted from the speakership. Oh, that's what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> um, that would be a gift. Uh, I mean, this, 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 the chairs in that office must not even like get worn, like well, broken have to, in. They'd have to be there for it to get broken in. <laughs> I mean, I, I, they've been on vacation for you know the, the, the last three weeks. So the news analysis in the New York Times says, to put it succinctly, Mr. Johnson is in a bind. <laughs> Boy, it is a tough one," said former Representative Vin Weber, Republican of Minnesota, who helped advise Kevin McCarthy during his lengthy bid to secure the gavel. There is not a solution that will make everyone happy and unite the Republican Party. Mr. Weber said the pressures on Mr. Johnson were coming not just from members of Congress, but also from a Republican electorate at war with itself. Quote, he has a divided Republican grassroots base. Isolationism has spread among the grassroots base, but there's also a lot of grassroots Republicans who will be furious if we let the Russians win. He's got problems multiple ways, but he's got to figure out the right thing to do and do it. But let's face it, it may cost him his speakership. I knew he was in trouble when we saw Mitch McConnell sitting there, and I was like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. He's going to get voted off the island. Um, I mean... Right, yeah. (laughs) Like, this is... I mean, that's I, what I will say, though, is what was very audacious of him was to come out and say, you know, we want, you know, immigration, something to happen at the southern border. I was like, sir, we just did this. We had a, we had a whole news cycle about how he, they had a bipartisan deal, which was very, very, very um, conservative. And they rejected it because. Um, Trump said he didn't want to do it. They didn't. They needed that for the campaign. So to come out and say that, poor guy. They, I mean, I, he needed another reason. It's just his credibility just, just really, really, really dipped. Well, it's. I mean, it, it is sort of the shutdown blues, which we. Yeah, you, you're right, Joe. This is every three weeks. You know, every month that we think we get rid of it, and it pops back at the most inopportune time. Um, and, but we should also all remember as taxpayers that um, they've had months to work on this, okay? And and because of decisions, poor decisions that were made, particularly in the House, um, about their own schedule um, and their own vacations, um, they didn't leave themselves any time to, to come back and, and, and deal with these. And, and I will also note that it's not just Ukraine. It's also aid to Gaza and aid to Israel that's included um, in in this bill. And it is completely disingenuous. I agree with you, Gian, that, Gian, that they, they that they would link it back to border control when there was, I thought, um, I actually thought that that had gone too far in the Senate, um, but it was, it was the most, it was the, it, I'm going to call it progressive, it was the clearest steps yet that we we could see some movement mm-hmm. in changing mm-hmm. the laws on on our border, and it was shut down, and it was shut down hard by um, by Trump and and by Johnson in in the far right. It is also symptomatic, and I hope everybody is remembering this of a, of a caucus that is ungovernable, but they're holding the the entire. It's not just the country they're holding; they're, they're they're holding the entire world hostage right now. I just want to read a quote from Mike Johnson, who says, I'm looking to hit singles, not home runs. 
It's too bad we're playing hockey, but okay. <laughs> Thank you. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I see the point. Like you're just looking for one. You know, one win would be nice, but uh, uh, from his point of view. But I, uh, yeah, I, I don't. Um, that's a Louisiana spirit. I'm going to the Olympics to win the bronze. Yeah, okay. You know, come on. But to to the to the point of of you know you're you're sort of left there. I, I I'm taken by Sienna's uh, point. Uh, yeah, when you're when you're at the negotiating table and uh, Mitch McConnell of your own party, the head of the Senate is sort of glowering down at you and saying, no. I mean, like, where, did, where does that leave you? Exactly. I mean, I just don't know where, he, I just really don't know where he goes from here. I think, you know, obviously we hope that he just kind of does what's best for the country. I know we say this all the time. And, you know, passes passes the bill so that we can all move forward. And then he has to take his licks and he gets voted out. I mean, we'll, we'll deal with that. That'll be interesting TV as always. But, <laughs> you know, I... But it also that stops the that stops the house from working as well when they do that, right? Like that that is a long process. We've been down this road a couple of times. And so I just it's very disappointing to see that this small group is able, you know, to control what happens in the house so much and it's it's what's making a lot of people disappointed in the process. Talking about not wanting to come to the polls. When you see things like this happening, you know what I mean? You're disappointed in you're disappointing in in government, and I think that's a lot of what our what our youth is seeing right now, and that's what's sad to see because I didn't grow up seeing our government work this way. Yeah, except if I was if if I was a democratic strategist, I I would be jumping for joy right now because I, I, this isn't going to be an even shared issue of of blame for 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 this mess. This is clearly clearly on the the the. The MAGA, the MAGA right, and and that small group of twenty to twenty-five, um, you know, of uh, representatives who who are holding the entire caucus. If I were uh, Molinari, if I were Lawler, if I were some of what I would say, uh, air quotes, more more moderate um, GOP in in swing districts, I would be terrified um, because they're. The, the the constituents are going to remember, and if, if there is a shutdown, um, it there will be pain. Um, the the country loses money, loses service, loses face. Um, you get you, you do have the whole situation of it's difficult to to look at what's going on in Ukraine right now and not seeing you know not seeing a link between our lack of support for Ukraine and Russian advancements and in Kiva and, and other places. Um, this is all coming at a time when this is close enough to to an election where people are going to remember. All right, let's. Uh, we have about nine minutes before we go over to. And, and I'm sorry, can I just uh, just opine one more second, Joe? Absolutely, opine away. What, at, at what point, though, is there uh, is there a revolt on on Johnson from the from the middle saying, you know, we can't, you know. They're they're being held hostage by by a, a by a minority group within their their own caucus, the the Matt Gateses and Andy Biggs and people like this, 
at what point in time do do the rest of them say you know you're 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 scuttling my political career here um we need to do something different um everybody's concerned about about the the motion to vacate from the right i'm starting to think that he needs to be more as, as worried about the the middle because at some point in time they're either going to have to wake up and, and and realize that they're getting flushed in the same toilet bowl as matt gates or um the, the, the circular motion is going to start. I, I don't think they do that until they get sign off from Trump that it's OK to go up against Johnson. I think no I think everyone in the Republican Party, for the most part, seems like they're afraid to go up against Trump and whatever he wants. So if Trump is not happy with what Johnson is doing, then you see I would see that happening. But otherwise, I don't see anyone standing up because they know that they might get primaried or what have you. Well, that means they're even dumber than I thought then because, I mean, Trump likes the chaos because it, it takes away from the fact that, you know, all of his court cases and his payments and everything. And, and yes. I, again, I, I at, at, at some point they're going to have to make a decision about um, their future um, and the future of the country versus the future of, of the, the Yeah, more importantly, I, I mean, they keep coming back. I keep saying on this immigration issue, Johnson keeps talking about it, but, you know, I heard that. Very soon, Biden is going to be issuing an executive action regarding the southern border, which is going to be very um, strict and kind of akin to what we saw in that bi- bipartisan deal. And then they won't have many as many legs to stand on if Biden can get that southern border over under control. We have a few letters on this particular subject. We go to Ted, who says Mike Johnson is a loyalist, and that's all there is to it. He's two steps from Putin. He will not be voted out by the right wing. I, I don't. I, I'm I'm with the letter up until the last line. He, yeah, no, he's he's definitely a loyalist. But let me ask you this question: If if Johnson allows a bill to come onto the floor, the the concern the numbers that I'm seeing is that it's gonna it's it's obviously going to pass. I mean, there's not going to be a question about it passing. Um. Looking at comments that have been made at CPAP and, and CPAP and PAC and um, by by people like the the, the crazy eights, um, they're they have no problem. Um, they 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 seem to think that they strengthen their position by creating more con- uh, uh, chaos within within their their um, their own caucus. Um, so yeah, I, I I agree with you, Joe. That last sentence was. I, I, not I'm not with it. Yeah, I think they'd vote him out. But I, I also think about that. They said that Biden uh, grabbed him on the way out and told him to stop, and had like a few last words with Johnson on his way out. And I wonder if those last words were, think about how you want to be remembered, you know, and do the right thing. I don't know. Hopefully. Let's go to Michael, who says McCarthy and Johnson seem to have shared one thing in common, desire to hold on to the speaker title. What they differ on is courage and willingness to risk that title for the good of the entire country, calling a vote to pass a strong budget and avoiding the repeating spectacle of our government shutting down, even if the speaker title is taken away. Never thought I would view McCarthy as courageous or selfless. But by comparison to Johnson, McCarthy did the right thing for the country, even if it was only to call a vote for a short-term bipartisan budget extension. In fairness, Johnson did the same thing, right? So he 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 has done he has done the same thing. Um, don't 
don't elevate Kevin McCarthy. Um, he he. The, the the two the two speakers Johnson and McCarthy are are cut from very very similar um, bolts of cloth. It, it's about them. It's about their power. It's about them being in the corner office. Um, and it, it's coming it's coming with a price. And McCarthy put us in this predicament in the first place because he made this agreement in order Stupid to get agreement. his become you know speaker of the house. So yeah, here we are. And they didn't change it, Joe. We we knew how we knew how how the the rule to vacate where where one one wingnut can bring down the speaker, um, and Johnson didn't have the the fortitude to stand up and say, "No, I'm not going to do this until that has changed." Until you change it, you know. And you think right. about what McHenry and 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 others who who honestly, you know, five years ago I would have said were were wingnuts in their own rights, and now they look sane. Tells you how how far um, the the GOP caucus has has fallen into into to, to chaos and insanity. Revolt from the middle. When? Never. They haven't woken up yet. With all the crap the Republicans have been doing over the last many years, they haven't revolted. Never, says Jonathan. They have no interest in the future of the country. The the naivete to somehow, after all this time, continue to think there is a reasonable part of the Republican Party that at some point will have had enough is just jaw dropping. All right. Well, put put your yeah no no it's okay put your jaw your jaw back up. Um, I, I I I the one thing that that I I do hold to is um, the vast majority of politicians um, are will will worry about their uh, worry about their future um, and, and prioritize that and their future is in jeopardy. That's the only way I I, I see movement. Um, but they are. The, the GOP dog is being wagged by the, the very tip of the, 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 the crazy tail. <laughs> so I just want that to, uh, to linger, linger for a second. Crazy tail. Uh, panel says, Keith, we are represented by legislators who refuse to legislate or budget. Mark Molinaro and the 118th Congress have passed the fewest bills than any other Congress in over the past 100 years. The last Congress that passed fewer bills was before the invention of the interstate highway system, commercial airlines, and it took almost a week to travel cross-country for (laughs) congressional members. That from Keith. And then before we go to break, we end with this from Dee, who writes... Could uh, you have an awful panel? Thank you. Oh, ouch! Thanks, mom. <laughs> Could you please get some other heavyweight to counteract the smooth talking, John Faso? I think you both did fine. Oh, oh thank you. I'm but, hurt. I'm hurt. I'm going to go to break now. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take a break, and we'll continue and have the last bit of our conversation when we return. We welcome your letters, as always. Panel at WAMC.org. Panel at WAMC.org. Sienna Freeman-Tolbert is with us. Bob Griffin, we uh, will get to other topics, move on to stuff. Uh, we have a lot to talk about food, and uh, so we'll, we'll do that coming up. Stay tuned, and we'll be back right after this short break.
Let me just say that the letter writers, while often brutally honest, also often have our back. M writes, the panel is great. No need to listen to such mean-spirited drivel. Maybe the letter writer can posit something contemplative instead of attacks. You were part of the problem, letter writer. <laughs> well, thank you for thank you for the support, and thank you for the other letter too. We I I do enjoy getting all of you know, finding out uh, the good, the bad, and as the one letter writer put it. Awful. 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 Uh, Awful. The awful. Awful. Uh, Okay. Uh, Let's go back to. Is that OFFAL? Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) Uh, Let's go back to uh, the rundown here and uh, tackle the stories. Uh, that that are interesting. So I put two stories on the uh, on the docket uh, today because I thought um, they, they they're somehow related, um, and 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 yet I, I also think they're really interesting uh, because this is this is what we keep hearing within the election, the confines of of election talk that. The economy is strong. Inflation is 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 being kept in check. The markets are good, and yet people still have this sticker shock at the grocery store, and they're still concerned about the day to day costs of living their lives. Well, enter two stories. One is that Wendy's, hmm. the fast food chain. Knows, known <laughs> known best for the frosty, which is delicious. Oh, delicious, oh, delicious, delicious. Um, I I don't. I usually do not have one without also having an ice cream headache. But they are delicious. So they have decided now, and and uh, so many of you may be aware that uh, we see this in ticketing for ticketed events. We see this for. Uber and and other ride sharing services, uh, where there is dynamic pricing mm. or surge pricing, as mm. it is often called, and now Wendy's has decided they're going to give dynamic pricing, their word for it, mm. their words for it, for burgers and shakes. Yeah, the company plans to introduce dynamic pricing. Uh, as early as next year, along with digital menu boards that would reflect price changes. That according to the Wendy's chief executive. So uh, basically, when you would go to a McDonald's and it would say over 102 billion served and you sit and you wait for that number to change, instead you can just go daily up to the (laughs) Wendy's board and see the prices change (laughs) on a double, triple, or whatever. Maybe you're the type who enjoys biting into a warm, spicy chicken nugget from Wendy's, and at $5.99 for a 10-piece in Midtown Manhattan, it is a tempting treat. Soon, you may want to consider what time it is before you satisfy such a craving, because the fast food chain is going to price those crispy chunks of meat and other menu <laughs> items differently depending on demand. This uh, by uh, Lola Fadulu, who is from... Uh, is writing for the New York Times. The company plans to begin testing dynamic pricing as early as 2025, according to Wendy's president and chief executive, Kirk Tanner. 
In other, <laughs> in other words, the prices of Wendy's Vanilla Frosty and other menu items will rise and fall based on demand. The future will be rolled out along with digital menu boards that would reflect the price changes. The company plans to invest approximately $30 million mm. in this initiative. Mm. Um, we are always focused on improving the customer and crew experience. Good Lord. And in that spirit, we are leveraging technology in our restaurants even more. Mr. Tanner, who became the Wendy's chief executive last month after a long career at PepsiCo, did not offer many details during the call on how much prices could rise or exactly how dynamic the, the dynamic pricing model would work. Wendy's customers expressed outrage on social media over the new strategy, with some even calling for a boycott. One quipped that she'd planned to get lunch at 11 a.m. or 3 p.m., the announcement came as food inflation in the United States appeared to be cooling after two years of rapid growth. The cost of food at home rose in January, but as much, but it is a much slower pace, and restaurant chains and other food providers have said that they are no longer raising prices as steeply. The cooling could be explained partly by consumers pushing back against rising prices and companies saying they had to spend less for labor and packaging story number one story number two which is i think somehow it is related um and if it isn't i'm going to make it so uh the ceo of kellogg's uh kellogg corporation came out yesterday and the he angered people because those who are upset by the rising cost of food have found another villain in the ongoing saga of inflation the CEO of Kellogg, who recently suggested in a TV interview that cash-strapped consumers should simply eat cereal for dinner to save money. The comments made by CEO Gary Pilnick That's fitting. during an appearance uh, on uh, CNBC soon began circulating on social media where they struck a nerve and many of them likened it to Marie Antoinette's infamously heartless and perhaps misquoted let them eat cake line. Pilnick touted a marketing campaign that his company launched urging people to give chicken the night off and instead consume big bowls of frosted flakes and frosted <laughs> mini wheats. Those advertisements don't make the explicit pitch for cereal as a cost-saving move, instead showing it as a fun way to shake up a family's dinner routine. But Pilnick did bring it up when the host on CSNB, uh, CNBC questioned him about rising prices at the grocery store. The cereal category has always been quite affordable, and it tends to be a great destination when consumers are under pressure if you think about the cost of cereal for a family versus what they might otherwise do that's a much more affordable dinner for them uh, well yeah st st stupid food stories uh for a thousand alex um i i just realized that that kirk tanner has all of the makings of a speaker of the house um <laughs> I, you know it i i think it i, I think I think it's going to fail. Um, I, I think it sends the wrong, a wrong message. But 
I'm going to get serious for a second. What really worries me is that dynamic pricing will then start to target certain populations, and you start to think about food deserts or areas where we have populations that that affect um, both socioeconomic and and and, ra- and ra- racial areas. That this will be a mechanism to change prices because they don't have access to 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 other um, to other food. I think it's a really dangerous precedent. Um, I I. I I see this as it makes no sense to me um, why they would do this. Um, it, it Wendy's had for a while, I thought, a pretty um, positive, uh, you know, thinking about brand. Yeah. Um, really sort of funny, cute social media. Um, you know, it was the where it, it's the where's the beef people. Um, they. I I think there, I think he's going to find that this is going to cost him uh, market share and, and eventually will cost him his job. That is such a good point. Wendy's did always have a sort of family-oriented, kind of community-oriented um, mission. It seemed like you know watching, Dave and his daughter, right? Dave, Dave and his daughter. And, and we care about the family, and that's where they kind of push. And, yeah, and was a very we all knew was a very story. socially conscious. Company. Yeah, exactly. And so to see this dynamic, I completely agree. It's it's. It's ridiculous, to say the least. I mean, what are you going to do when during dinner time, all of a sudden, it's very expensive to buy food? Yeah. You know, if you're going there to get food after work for your family, all of a sudden the price moves from, you know, by the way, Happy happy Meal Kids Meals are expensive. As someone that buys a lot of them right now. And, you know, you're spending... You buy, buy, buy more cereal. <laughs> well, <laughs> we do that, too. <laughs> We do that too, but I mean, but cereal's expensive. The cereal is expensive as well. I mean, but I think the problem is that you're you're taking advantage of people that yeah. need something in a moment. You need food. You you put together your twenty dollars to go buy a few burgers for your family. You get in line, and now there's a big line for people because everyone's there from five to six, and you don't have enough to buy a simple sandwich, which normally, which you know, will cost one like two dollars cheaper in two hours. That's that's what makes it so kind of disgusting, right? Like it feels like you're taking advantage of the fact that there's a certain time and place that people need food. I just and it, and it won't work for Wendy's, quite frankly, because right now, if you McDonald's is is trying to lower their prices again because there have been a lot of complaints about mm-hmm. how much a Big Mac costs, apparently. And so the reason why it works for Uber and Lyft is because when you're stuck at a concert and you need to get home and you don't have a ride, you got to get in that Uber, Lyft, or that taxi cab. But unfortunately, with Wendy's. We'll do what we all when we see they're doing their dynamic prices. Prices go up, off to Burger King, off to McDonald's, off to Five Guys, or what have you. You have options, is what I'm saying. Yeah, I mean, you always knew when you went to a show, a concert, a theater, you were going to get screwed if you went up mm-hmm. to get, you know, a drink or like, oh, M and M's are twelve dollars. Mm-hmm. Okay, um, but they've got you because you're there and there's nobody else, and and you don't have to buy them, and that's that's a different thing. Okay, I so that's separate, but. But, man, you know, you look at what they've done with uh, ticket pricing and so forth, where you go on and there is no there is no face value of it of it of a ticket anymore. If, if, if there there is no that face value. And, and you see this in an airplane. Uh, not too long ago, The New York Times put a chart in of showing uh, an average seating chart for a plane and showed what the different people paid and it went anywhere from fifty nine dollars to to twelve hundred dollars yeah. so that I mean that is that is ludicrous but it's also just very strange so uh, and and I do wonder about the geographics of the surge pricing within uh, uh, you know are we is is the 
um, is the Frosty going to be more expensive at 530 in on Central Avenue yeah. in Albany as compared to Route 9 in Queensbury. Well, especially since this is being set by by an AI algorithm, and this mm-hmm. is the other part of the story, is that it's not like there's a human in the loop. It, it sounds like like they, what they, they already have an algorithm that, that's put in place. Um, I really do think it's mean-spirited. I'll, I'll also note um, in, in the article it, it referenced Bruce Springsteen tickets going for 5500 bucks. I'm sorry. If I'm spending fifty five hundred bucks for one ticket, Bruce better be bringing me my my nuggets, and they better be incl- they better be included in that cost. I mean, I, the the they're the the price they're they're getting to the point where it it this is um, mean spirited, um, and it drives home again. And I'll give Elizabeth Warren credit. There has to be at at a federal level more of a, a view of consumer protection on on pricing. I think the opportunity to do really bad things to to Americans who are not able to stand up for themselves is baked into this very proposal by Wendy's. This idea of of using AI, the idea of it being profit profit motivated without the potential for 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 equi- equitable distribution, um, I think is is enormously problematic. We are late. Thank you both for being here. Thanks to John as well. We'll be back right after this.